Brilliant movie, but one of the most violent movies they had ever seen in their life. However, they also said that you kind of needed the violence to, to contrast God working in that kind of environment. But it's interesting, because I think about this, and, and we just had, was it on the news last night, the Actor Awards or something? Mel Gibson just picked up like a whole bunch of awards, including Best Film. Like, seriously, if, if someone gave a million dollars to the Adventist church and said, go out and do anything you like to raise awareness of what the church is doing and what it's about and what God's doing and all the rest, I don't think you could do better than that, from what I've heard. Um, so it's just, uh, it's really interesting. It's interesting you mentioned that because this morning we have, I guess, a bit of a, a wartime theme in the story that we're looking at, a bit of a, a battle, like, I guess, story that we're going through. The children of Israel have left Egypt. They've spent 40 years walking through the wilderness, walking through the desert, and they finally get to Cain in the Promised Land. And they're about to enter this, into this land. It was, it was about 1,448 BC. They, they reckon it was about April in that year. And Joshua has the clear-cut task to completely eradicate the land of all the non-believers to make room for, this, for the Canaanite people that God had promised that they would take this land years ago to Abraham, their forefather. And so they, they come into the land, and the first thing that Joshua needs to do, Moses had led the people so far, and now he's gone, and Joshua's taken over, and they're standing in front of the first city of Canaan, Jericho. And this city was renowned in the ancient world for having impregnable walls. This city was known for its walls. And Joshua's thinking, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to do this? And he goes to God, and he's praying, and he's talking, and God's talking back to him. An amazing experience. And God says, just walk around the city. And they do. They walk around the city and the walls come tumbling down and half the battle's over and they take it. And shortly after, there's another city not far down the road. The next city they encounter is called Ai. And it's the same sort of thing, a mighty city full of mighty warriors. And, and Joshua's going, what are we going to do, Lord? And God says, don't worry, go. Here's the battle plan. Do this and you'll be right. And they are. And they defeat Ai as well. And all the kings of Canaan are starting to take notice. Because <laughs> they're kind of lining up the cities, going, well, that's one, two, and we're kind of fourth in line. What's going to happen here? And then these people arrive at the Israelite camp. And their clothes are shabby and, and old, and their food, they say, you know, their food's all moldy and, and stale. And they come in, they ask for the leader, they ask for Joshua, and they say, Joshua, we've heard about what happened in Egypt. We've heard about how God has protected you through the wilderness. We've heard about Jericho. We've heard about Ai. We come from a far-off land. Look at our clothes. We've been traveling for a long time. Look at our food. We want to make a peace treaty with you. We want to worship your God. We want to be friends with the Israelite people. And Joshua's like, oh, yeah? Where exactly do you come from? What city? And they're like, oh, you... You probably didn't even hear it. It's so far away. It's, it's, you know, we've been traveling for so long. And the elders of Israel are kind of scratching their chins going, oh, yeah, what's the name of this city? Oh, it's so far away. So Joshua makes the treaty. He vows with them by, by the living God that they would be at peace. And as soon as he does, these Gibeonites turn around and go, ah, gotcha! We're from the city just over there. Ha-ha, deceived you. 
Now, I don't know why Joshua didn't consult God in this process. You think about what he's just gone through. He's been standing beside Moses watching everything that's been happening through the wilderness. They've just had the walls of Jericho fall down by walking around them because God said it would work. And for some reason, he doesn't consult God. I don't know if he was just too busy and forgot. I don't know if maybe he thought it wasn't important enough. I don't know if he thought maybe he could just rely on his own strength for this one. It seemed like a bit of a little thing. I don't know what it was. And when I think about my life and my day-to-day experience, I think, how often do I do that? How often do I make decisions like Joshua did, which actually end up having far-reaching consequences and meaning? How often do I do th- make decisions like that without consulting God, for whatever reason? And so, he makes this pact. And because he's a godly man, he's not going to break his word, so he has to honour it. And all the other kings of Canaan find out that the Gibeonites have made this pact with the Israelites, and they're not happy. What are we going to do with these turncoats? So the five strongest kings of the region all band together, and they decide to attack Gibeon and wipe these people out. And they see the army coming, the Gibeonites see the army coming, and, and they're, they're afraid. So they send word to Joshua and they say, hey, we've got this peace pact, you need to come defend us. And all of a sudden, Joshua is starting to realise the implications of making this treaty without consulting God. And all of a sudden, Gideon has this problem. Now, he was scared when they were going up against Jericho, one king. And now, all of a sudden, he's not facing one, not two. He's facing five kings, mighty kings with mighty armies. And he's scared. He's stressed. He's not sure what to do or how this is going to work out. And so, this time, he does turn back to God. And he gets on his knees and he prays. And he prays. And he prays. I don't know what difficulties, or challenges, or tests that the devil might be throwing you away. I don't know what your five kings are. And sometimes it's one king. Sometimes when it rains, it pours. Sometimes it's all five kings. Sometimes it's one thing after the next, after the next. And he just, it just gets you. I don't know what the devil's throwing at you, but when we're in that situation that Joshua finds himself in, the best thing we can do is consult God. The best thing we can do is get on our knees and pray. And and I think back to conversations that I'd had with my grandparents who have now passed away, but I remember talking to them about, you know, living through the, the Second World War and living through emigrating to Australia and all the challenges that they had, and I'd ask them, you know, how did you get through that? What What did you do? And independently, they would often say to me, you get on your knees and you don't get up until you feel God's peace. You may not get the answer, but you feel God's peace. You know he's with you. You know he's heard you. And you stay there until you've got that. And sometimes it can take a while. Now, that's prayer. We teach our kids these days, you know the song about the arrow prayers? And that's good. You can shoot prayers up to God anytime, little quick prayers and it's all. But I think sometimes we've forgotten the art 
of getting on your knees and wrestling with God until you feel his response. So Joshua prays earnestly, ongoingly, intentionally, he prays. And Joshua receives a promise of victory. The Lord said to Joshua in chapter 10, verse 8, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. That's pretty cool. But it raises a question. How do you listen for God? It's not a rhetorical question. How do you listen for God? I know in my life, I was having a conversation with someone just not long ago about this, and I know in my life that for me, God seems to speak to me at times in my life when I've been spending more time reading his, his word, reading the Bible. And I know in my life, through trial and error and experience and prayer, I know in my life that God seems to speak to me more at the quiet times, in the morning when I first wake up, in the evening when I'm about to go to bed. They seem to be the times that God speaks to me more than any other. And I was talking to, um, talking to Melissa about this, and, and we were thinking about, you know, are there any examples that I can share about times when when we feel that we've heard God sort of influencing and speaking in our lives. And she made an interesting comment that I, I wouldn't have picked. She said, you get premonitions all the time. Oh, and I'm thinking, oh, I don't know about that. But we started thinking about a few stories. And there was one in particular that jumped out to both of us. And it happened a few years ago. We're about to, it's Christmas in a couple of weeks, not long. I know that's scary. The year's about to end. But it was a couple of years ago, every second year, we go down to Melissa's family to visit with them. And they live about an hour out of Melbourne. They're in the, in the country, in the rural area, beautiful place. And we were staying with them, and Melissa and I had to go into Melbourne for the day. And we are going to leave the kids with um, the grandparents. And Melissa's brother, Lyndon, was there with us as well. He was going to drive us in. And we are going to go in the following day. And the evening before, I can't explain it. I just had this overwhelming sense. It came from nowhere. It was sudden. It was just this overwhelming sense of fear and dread that something bad was going to happen to us and that our kids were going to grow up without their parents. I don't know where it came from. I can't explain it, but it was overwhelming. It was so overwhelming that it actually started to affect my mood. It was so overwhelming that for the risk of sounding like a lunatic, I actually spoke to Melissa about it and said, I don't know what's happening, but I've just this is, this is this. And we spent a lot of time in prayer that night. The following morning when I woke up, it was still there. Spent a lot of time. The time came when we had to leave. We had to go in for an appointment. So the time came, the allotted time. We're getting in the car. We we're about to go. And we stopped at the door. And it was just for a second. And I grabbed Melissa and I said, I said, let's pray one more time. We said a quick prayer. We actually said special goodbyes to our kids. That's how strong this felt. We stopped for just two seconds at the door to say a quick prayer. God be with us. And we walked out. We got in the car. We drove down the driveway. Now, it's a dirt road out to the Melbourne Highway, which is one of the main highways coming into Melbourne. And we're talking as we're going and talking about what we had to do, and I'm still feeling this way. And you go down the dirt road to a T intersection with the Melbourne Highway, and we come down to the highway, Lyndon's driving, and all of us did exactly the same thing. We all looked to the right as we were approaching the, the intersection, and just as Lyndon started driving out, this truck came flying past the front of the car, missed the front of the car by 
nothing. And because he instantly saw it, as he's still looking that way, it was starting to pass, he slammed on the brakes just before he went into the side of the truck. If we had hit that intersection just seconds before, I wouldn't be here now. There was one truck overtaking another truck, both doing 100 kilometers an hour down that, down that highway. And in that instant, I just felt complete peace. The danger had passed. I knew it. Somehow I knew it. And that, it didn't come back. God speaks. God spoke to Joshua. God speaks today. I was told you, I was talking to somebody else um, from Refresh about this just not long ago. And we were talking about how God speaks. And he said to me, you know what? There have been a few occasions in my life where I felt God speaks to me. And it always seems to be through dreams. And I thought, hey, this is awesome. This is great. It's like the prophets of old. Like, I wish I had that. Like, this is really cool. I said, mate, like, I've never had that. I've never experienced that. Usually, I stay up doing whatever, and I go to bed tired, and, I'm, and my head, ask Melissa, she hates it. My head hits the pillow, and in 30 seconds, I'm snoring. I'm asleep. I'm gone. The alarm goes off in the morning, and I'm awake, and I'm still feeling kind of tired. I hardly ever dream. And this guy said to me, yeah, he said, I've been like that at times in my life too. And I've actually started intentionally going to bed earlier, because I've found that when I do and I dream, God speaks. So Joshua's on his knees and God speaks. How do you listen to God? What changes do you need to make in your life so that God can speak? Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. And the Apostle John says, quoting Jesus, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So I challenge you to listen to God. And when Joshua gets his answer from God, <clears throat> he acts immediately. He responds in faith, and he and his whole army march all night from where they were camped at Gilgal right to the city of Gibeon, about 32 kilometers. They march through the night to that battle straight away. They don't stop, they don't think, they don't confer, they don't do anything. They act in faith, they act in full strength straight away. And it's important that we do that when God speaks, because if we don't, other advisors come along. They do, every time. Despair whispers, lie down and give up. But God would have us encourage ourselves in the Lord. And even in our worst times, to, to encourage ourselves and find joy in his love and faithfulness. Fear says, retreat, go back. You can't play the Christian's part. It's too difficult. Relax your principles. But however much Satan may tempt us like this, you can't follow it if you're a child of God. And Jesus says, don't fear, for I'm always with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Impulsiveness cries, do something. We have to do something. Do anything. Do it at once. And we're tempted to rush ahead in our own plans rather than consulting God the God who will do something, and not just something, the God who will do everything. 
And presumption boasts, well, if the enemy's in front of us, let's just march into the middle of them and expect a miracle. But faith, faith doesn't listen to presumption or despair or cowardice or impulsiveness. Faith hears God and it acts immediately and with strength. And after Joshua heard God's voice, he responded immediately and with all his might that night and marched all night. If we read the story in the Bible, it says, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up into the mountains to Beth Haron, and cut them down all the way to this place and that place as they fled before Israel on the road down to Beth Haron and another place I can't pronounce. The Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of the army died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. And Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. And it finishes with these words, Surely the Lord was fighting for his people. Okay, so let's just deal with the elephant in the room right up front, shall we? Joshua told the sun to stand still, and it did. Wow. Joshua had five mighty armies drawn out of their well-fortified cities, out in the plain open. This was a military tactical advantage like you could never get. It was a wonderful opportunity. So let's just think about this for a moment. Let's, let's for a moment, let's just bypass the scientific implications of the Earth stopping spinning on its own axis for 12 hours. It happened. Other writers in Scripture talk about the fact that happened. The historical account exists. They actually know roughly almost when it happened. May the 12th, 1448 BC. So I jumped on my calendar during the week and I thought, oh, you know how calendars go forward a long way. I wonder if it actually goes back. You can actually tell from the Roman calendar when that was. May 12th, 1448 was a Sunday. And I thought, wow, I wonder, that's, that's interesting. So Joshua's praying all day Saturday. He gets his answer from God Saturday night. Saturday night, he marches all night. And then Mother's Day, wow, Mother's Day is this extra long day. That's pretty cool. Maybe. <laughs> and there are folk stories and myths from so many cultures around the world. There, is, there, is, there are folk stories in Africa about this one long day. There are folk stories in China the North American Indians, the Central Americas, the South Americas, the Egyptian culture writes about this, the Persian culture, even the Fijian Islands. Some of them about this extra long day, some of them about this extra long night, but all about a day or a night that lasted twice as long as it should have. Amazing stuff from around the world. And the main theme of this passage and of this story is our God fights for us. He defeated the enemy, and he allowed Joshua to come along for the ride and be a part of the victory, part of God's victory. And it feels good 
to have a backer, a strong backer. It feels good to be walking beside someone who you know is powerful, who know doesn't have to worry about the enemy. Um, Melissa and I were travelling with my parents a, a while ago now. We were travelling through Russia and we were on this crowded street in St. Petersburg and, and we came to a set of lights, a, a pedestrian crossing, and, and there was a mass of people. We're walking across this crossing and Melissa and I happened to be a little bit further back, about five metres behind mum and dad. And all of a sudden, this group of gypsies, mostly women, probably about 20 of them, just swarmed around this crossing some of them with babies, all different age um, females. They just swarmed in. No one noticed a thing. Mel noticed. And she actually called out to Dad, Dad, have you got your wallet? And he checked his pocket and he goes, my wallet's gone. Just as this group of gypsies started passing by him and moved in front of him. And, and he said to Mum, my wallet's gone. Someone's just stolen my wallet. And so Mum, who is Russian and speaks Russian, started yelling at the gypsies, Hey, give us back your wallet. Thieves, thieves, stop thieves. And so this commotion starts. And she's yelling at the gypsies, and the gypsies are yelling back at her, going, leave us alone, stop yelling at us. And some of the gypsy women start lifting up their blouses, showing themselves off, going, look, I don't have your wallet, which is a little bit distracting when you're trying to argue with a thief about giving back something they've stolen from you. And it was causing this massive disruption in this already crowded street. Mum's yelling, they're yelling, they're all, mum's trying to get the wallet back, dad doesn't know what's going on because he doesn't speak Russian. And then this bus pulled up. <clears throat> and the oldest gypsy lady jumps on the bus, so all the others follow. And mum's not going to let her get away, so he grabs dad, and they jump on the bus too, and they're yelling at these guys on the bus, give us back your wallet, stop, thief, stop, thief. The bus conductor doesn't know what's just fallen on, the, on his bus, so he comes running down, assesses the situation, and, and turns to mum and says, ticket please. She's like, I haven't got a ticket. They've stolen our wallet. They're the thieves. Arrest them. And so he yells out to the bus driver. The bus driver stops the bus. He kicks everyone off the bus. And this commotion goes back on the street. Now, in the meantime, Mel and I had missed the bus, so to speak. So we decided to run ahead, and we're looking for a policeman or someone who might be able to help. Now, we couldn't find a policeman, but we came across, not far down the road, we came across this really ritzy-looking hotel with a red carpet to the front door and, you know, the, um, the concierge all dressed up out the front standing there. So I went up to him and in very broken Russian tried to explain what had happened. And in, I think, almost even more broken English, he must have thought that my Russian was worse than his English, he replied back and said, listen, if gypsies stole something from you, you're not going to see that again. And we said, no, no, you don't understand. And it was about then that everyone got thrown off the bus and they're sort of from here to the, the wall away. They're not far away. And I said, no, there they are. And mum's still yelling and they're still yelling and lifting up their blouses and people are kind of looking and it's all happening. And when he saw that they were just there, he said, oh, wait, wait here. And he rushed into the hotel. And that is when we saw him. He reminded me of uh, Dolph Lundgren from Rocky IV, the Russian soldier who fights Rocky, anyone who's old enough to remember the movie. He had the bleached blonde hair cut in the flat top. And he looked, he stood at least eight foot tall. He was head and shoulders above everyone. And he had muscles, go to the next picture, he had muscles that just were like this, and he walks out of the hotel with his concierge, and Melissa and I just did that. 
And as he walks down the red carpet of the hotel out to the commotion, the gypsies and mum pretty much meet him at the end of the carpet. And he stands like this in front of the group and they can't help but stop. There's no going around this guy. He's too wide, right? And they stop. And he just does this to the oldest gypsy. And she obeys straight away. This guy looks like, next picture, he looks like he could do that to anyone, all right? And he just does this, just beckons her with his finger and she comes over. And he leans down. He had to lean down a fair way. He leans down and he just says something quietly in her ear. And the wallet comes straight out. With all the cash, ID, everything in it. It feels good to have an eight-foot, muscle-bound Russian standing on your side when a gypsy's just stolen your wallet. It feels better to have the living God of the universe standing behind you when you're facing the enemy. And that's exactly where Joshua finds himself. So Joshua's army were fighting five huge armies, and even with God slaying thousands with hail, the simple mathematics of the numbers of how many people Joshua's army had to slaughter meant that Joshua needed more time before the enemy were going to be able to hide under the cloak of darkness and regroup in one of their fortified cities. He needed more time. He needed more daylight to complete God's work. So he claims more daylight in full faith. He doesn't ask God a question. He cries out, sun stands still, moon stands still. He is so in line with God's will. He so believes in faith, the promise that God has said, you will defeat this army. He doesn't even have to ask. He's heard God. He says what he needs. And the amazing thing is, God listened. And as amazing as his request was, it happened. God went out and fought for his people and saved his people. And Joshua's experience isn't a one-off. I bet that all of us have stories of when God has helped us. Some of them big, some of them small, but all of us would have testimonies of how great God has been to us over the years. God fought for his people then, and God fights for his people today. In fact, a better translation of what Joshua said isn't sun stand still. It's actually sun cease, sun stop. Just sun stop working, just die. That's a better translation of what Joshua actually said. And there's another story in the Bible that actually uses that same phrase. And it's another story where the sun ceased and stopped shining and day turned to night. And this is another story of how God went out and fought for his people in a mighty, mighty way and saved his people. And we read it in the New Testament, Matthew 27, starting in verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, Darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And when the centurion and those with him saw um, what was happening... They saw the earthquake and all that was going on. 
They were terrified and they exclaimed, surely this was the Son of God. When Jesus died, it was like there was just this outpouring of holy power and dead people arising from the tombs. On the day that the sun ceased, like the day that Joshua's sun ceased. Don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. There is a battle raging right now for your soul and mine. The devil and his armies attack us daily, and sometimes it feels overwhelming. Like Joshua, not against one opponent, not even two, sometimes not even three, sometimes it's five. And the Apostle John saw all this in vision, and he wrote, Jesus and his angels, or Michael and his angels, were fighting against the devil, and the dragon fought with his fallen angels back. War will continuously rage between the two great sovereignties until one or the other is crushed. Peace between good and evil is an impossibility. The very pretense of peace, in fact, would signify that the powers of darkness have won. Jesus will always fight evil, pain and death. His perfect loving character is completely opposed to sin and he will not allow it to continue. Jesus will always be the dragon's foe. And not not in a quiet sense, but actively, vigorously, with full determination to exterminate evil. All his servants, whether angels in heaven or people who bear his name as Christians, will and must fight. We are born to be warriors. And at baptism, we enter into a covenant never to make a truce with evil. We must be firm in defense and fierce in attack. That's what we're called to be. The duty of every soldier in the army of the Lord is daily, with all his heart, soul, and strength, to fight against the dragon. And... We don't have to fear this conflict. Like on Joshua's longest day, Jesus fights for his people. And while we are part of the battle, it is his strength, not ours, that will win the day. Like Joshua, if we listen for God's leading, we can be sure of the same promise of complete and utter victory. Consult God. Listen for God. And act in full faith and strength. How glorious is our Lord Jesus, who at the cross overpowered, conquered, crushed and destroyed every weapon of the enemy. And by his triumphant resurrection, completely overturned the hopes of hell. I don't know how many armies our enemy, the devil, is pitching against you right now. I don't know if it's one or two or ten. And I don't know which of his generals he has marched against you right now. Whether fear or stress, material needs, a sense of discontentment, loneliness, guilt, self-esteem, a feeling of insufficiency, regret, weakness, distraction, ill health. Addictions, busyness, success, pride, peer pressure. I don't know which of the devil's generals he's marched against you. 
But remember, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who has saved us. And we will trample the powers of darkness which are in this world by our faith and zeal and holiness. And we will overcome pain and stress and loneliness and sickness and conflicts and greed and poverty of this world. We will win people to Jesus if we lift him up to our friends and our neighbours and demonstrate what he's really like. For our God is with us and nothing can stand against us. Let's bow our heads. Our dear Heavenly Father, as we listen, as we, as we contemplate how you have acted in the past and this amazing story of, of suns standing still and, and hailstones and, and overwhelming odds and, and these mighty battles and these mighty victories. And as we think about how you operate today, that you are the same God today that you were then, that just as you spoke to Joshua, you speak to us. Just as you promised victory to Joshua, you promised victory to us. Just as he needed to consult with you, we need to consult with you. As we look at the parallels between the stories that you have given us and the situation of our lives today, I pray that you will strengthen us. I pray that we will gain your wisdom, your holiness, your fervor, that, that your will will become our will and the things that we want will become the things that you want for us. Help us to submit to you and help us to gain confidence and strength in you. For today, for the couple of weeks ahead before Christmas and especially for the Christmas period and for the year ahead too, I pray for this blessing on each of us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.